Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Word of God. And we acknowledge our privilege to have our copy in so many different forms and ways, our copy of the Word of God. And Father, now we pray that the Holy Spirit who inspired it might open our eyes to understand it and our hearts to receive it, to embrace it as guidelines for our living. For we ask this now in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, today we're beginning something that we announced last week. Last week we sort of had an introductory message to the fact that we're beginning a study, a verse-by-verse study of the book of James. Now, this was a book, as I mentioned last week, that was written by the Lord Jesus Christ's own earthly brother, whose name was James. This man, James, had become the head elder of the Jerusalem church, And that was a church composed almost entirely of born-again Jews. At the very heart of the congregation were those who had been, in fact, born again on the day of Pentecost. That's when the church in Jerusalem had begun. That's where the Holy Spirit was poured out into the world, there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. These core members of that Jerusalem church They had seen with their own eyes the Holy Spirit pour down into the world. They had responded to Peter's salvation message that day, and they had repented of their sins. For a lot of them, it was really the the big sin, the sin of condemning Jesus Christ to death, to be part of the crowd that said, crucify him, crucify him. He's not worthy of life. He's a blasphemer. Oh, many of them had repented of that sin to say nothing of all the rest of the sins in their lives. Peter had said, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they had been. And he said, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they had received him. They were at the core of that church. There are no people like that in any church today anywhere in the world. But in that first church, there they were. Any visitor from afar could come on a Sunday and ask any one of them, what was it like? The book of Acts hadn't even been written, but they were a living record. There they were at the core of that church. 3,000 of them had been saved on that very first day. And the Bible says their numbers had increased steadily ever after, day after day after day. The Lord added to the church those that were being saved. Now, as they formed themselves into this this brand new body of, of people, believers in Jesus people, they were immediately challenged by the non-believing leaders of the Jews, the very ones who had brought Jesus before Pilate. 
the very ones who condemned him as a blasphemer. They hadn't received him, not as a group. And so immediately, all of these who had received Jesus as Savior and Lord had repented of their sins, been baptized in his name, received the Holy Spirit, all of them became targets for those non-believing Jewish leaders and all those who followed them. And those people made great efforts to squelch, to squelch the testifying efforts of those new believers, those young Christians. They told them, never speak in this town in that name. Stephen, as we were told last week, reminded of, Stephen was an exuberant young leader of the church, and they took him, and to make an example of him, they stoned him to death. They never teach, never preach, never talk about this Jesus. And they killed him. And after his death, the non-believing Jewish population was encouraged to purge the whole city of these heretics. And a persecution broke out against every believer, every member of that first church. And the Bible tells us they, of course, they ran for their lives. They went wherever they could. Everyone except the church leaders fled the city. The apostles remained behind. James and some of the elders remained behind. These young believers that had to run for their lives, them and their families, they went as far from Jerusalem as possible to take refuge. They truly became, as Peter would later call them, aliens and strangers in the world. They were no longer in the home city of their faith. They were no longer in the place where they could see the glorious temple and and they could say to themselves that our Savior Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice that 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 temple had, had been preparing the way for. Our Savior Jesus has caused the the veil in the temple to be rent in two so that anyone in his name could enter into the Father's presence. Oh, they, they, they were gone, fled from all of that. No memories like that. They were on their own, aliens and strangers indeed. As I said, where they went, they were living without those things and they were living without the leadership that they had once counted on. The leadership, the teaching, the training of the apostles themselves, and and of course the, the words of wisdom of James, the brother of Jesus, that they just treasured. To listen to him. To realize that Jesus had appeared to him specially. To realize that he had lived his life, grown up with Jesus as his older brother through all those years. Mary, his mother too. And when he spoke, now being filled with the Holy Spirit, now being a a firm believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, they, they just treasured his words the way that his mother Mary treasured all the things that she stored up in her heart. And they were now removed from him. Probably they thought never to see him again, never to hear his words again. 
and yet to be faithful to Christ in a very difficult world. Surely they, they would have hungered and thirsted for the kind of fellowship as well as the instruction they've received in that first church, that church in Jerusalem. And so, in time, the Holy Spirit moved upon James' heart to write a letter to them, a letter of instruction and encouragement to all those Jewish believers who had been scattered by this persecution through the, the greater area outside Jerusalem. The letter he wrote was most practical. It was most relevant. It addressed not high, complicated theology, but it addressed many of the circumstances that they, as followers of Christ, were facing, perhaps for the first time, in the fallen, corrupted world in which they were living. No longer in Jewish society, but but out in the real worldly society. It was a letter that exhorted them to live the lives that God himself would desire them to live. The life that perfected, that is mature believers, would live. The life, live the life, James was saying, that this letter will describe. And so the tone of that letter, as well as the content of that letter, assured them that such a life, such a God-pleasing life, such a mature, believing life, a, a finished, completed, perfected even Christian life could in fact be lived and that they, by all that God had given to them, were capable of doing it. Say to yourself right now, wouldn't ask you to say it to anybody beside you, but say it to yourself right now, I can do this. I can do this. I can live this life that God calls me to live, given all the provisions that he has made for me to do that. I can do this. I can live a life that is mature in Christ. I can live a life that honors God and pleases him. And, and as I look through this book, I... I desire to live exactly the way that God would ask me to. You see, we pointed out last week, James' purpose in writing was this, to provide a pathway to perfection. To perfection. We define perfection, that's that Greek word teleos, as completeness, wholeness, a finished product, not sinlessly perfect, for heaven's sakes. Already mentioned today, we're, God knows we're still just dust, and occasionally we fail in, in a lot of different ways. But we can grow to maturity in Christ. A mature person even knows how to deal with failure in a way that honors God and turn that failure into something even glorious. So how do we get there? How do we get there to that place? The book of James is giving us a, a pathway to that very maturity in Christ that we would desire. And so the title of this series of messages now that will take us for a few weeks is On to Perfection. That's where we want to get. However, however, to paraphrase the grand American philosopher Forrest Gump, 
Let me say, perfection is as perfection does. Perfection behaves in a certain way. Perfection is as perfection does. And with that assessment, James would hardly agree. And so he spelled out for all of his readers, whether in the first century or the 21st century, just what perfection, that is, full Christian maturity, looks like. Now, that understanding of James' purpose led us last week to raise this key series question. And this question underlines everything we're going to say from here on. How do mature, that is, perfected believers handle themselves in this fallen, corrupted world. Because we're still living in a world, and more and more all the time, that as the old hymn writer said, is no friend to grace. The world around us is increasingly no more friendly to us and helpful to us than the world was with those early believers in the first century. Now, James answers this question, how do mature, perfected believers handle themselves in this fallen, corrupted world? He answers that question in as many different ways as the many different life situations that the Holy Spirit brought to his mind. As James was writing, the Holy Spirit brought to his mind, well, James, you've got to address this situation. How about this situation? How about this situation? What would be the mature Christian response in these situations? And so last week, I asked you to read through the entire book of James. Don't raise your hand. But you know, I mentioned in my Bible, it's only four pages. Four pages is it. So I hope you all did. Read through it probably only took 15 or 20 minutes, if that. And I asked you to see, as you read through it, those five chapters, four pages, how many different life circumstances, life situations, you can identify. Now, I did that myself this week. I mean, I sat down and just straight through it with a little pad with me, and I came up with 21 of them. Now, I don't know if I'm going to preach all 21, We'll see. But James identified, and I came up with, 21 specifically different life circumstances, situations that that we encounter as believers still in our world today. And there's a mature response that can be made to each one. And James identifies what that response is as we go through his book. And so that's what we're going to do. In all of those situations each one of them requiring a a response that, let me say, is radically different from the response an immature believer makes. You see, James points out for us in all these ways, perfection's pathway. This is the way the mature responds. This is the way the perfected saint responds, and, and we want to do that. However, before we take our first step on perfection's pathway that we're going to take next Sunday, it's imperative that we consider what I'm calling today perfection's prerequisite. Perfection's 
prerequisite. Now, a prerequisite is something that has to happen. Could say the preliminary thing that must happen before the main thing can happen. Something that sets the stage. Something that it's essential. It must be there or nothing else is going to happen. And there is a prerequisite for a believer's maturity. There is a prerequisite for the perfecting of the saint. And James tucks it away right in the very first verse. In fact, just part of the first verse. In the words that he uses to identify himself. And here we are, today's key scripture. James 1.1, he starts right out. James, a what? A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Greek word that James uses here for servant is the word doulos. D-O-U-L-O-S, doulos. It doesn't really mean low, low down slave. It's a servant. It's a person that is owned by and completely surrendered to a master. But it could be one who's been given great authority, great trust and responsibility within the household. Remember, way, way back in the Old Testament, now this wasn't the Greek language, and this wasn't the Greek culture, but remember how Joseph, who was sold into slavery, he was a servant. He was owned entirely and kind of passed along, but he wound up becoming the second most powerful man in Egypt. And he's one who had been sold into slavery. But James says, I am one who is owned by and completely surrendered to a master. And notice he says, I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here he is, the head of the Jerusalem church. Great responsibility, great authority, great insight, and yet he's a servant, he's a doulos. Now the Apostle Paul identified himself by that same Greek term frequently in the letters that he wrote. And Paul, along with James, would certainly agree with today's key concept. Perfection's prerequisite. Here's how we express it. Perfection. Maturity in in the Christian life requires surrender to the Almighty. Without that, we'll never be mature. Without that, there is no way you can build maturity upon something that is not founded by surrender to God. An absolute surrender to God. That's why we always start with worship before we open the Bible to talk about God's word. Because worship brings us to that place of bowing down before the almighty God. And then we're ready to hear what he says to us. And we're not ready to debate with him. We've already established that we worship him. We honor him. We belong to him. 
and we look to him to lead and guide our lives. It's amazing. It's amazing how such a common term Well, let me just say here, I notice here, you probably have one on your sheet here, for the doulos, I don't want to jump over this, for the doulos, the relevant question in life is never, what do I want? Anytime we come up with, hey, what do I want? We're not thinking or speaking as a servant of anyone. The doulos asks, what does my master what does my master? It's amazing how such a common term, such an almost universal understanding in the early church has so little mention in the church today. In the church today, there's very little teaching about every day ask what your master there's encouragement to think about what you want and how the Christian life can make that happen. How the Christian life is, is just full of opportunity for you. Seldom is the question, what does God want of me? What is God's will and purpose for me today? I have no doubt that's why there's so much immaturity among professing believers today. A lot of people have accepted Christ as their Savior because somebody told them that would lead to the very best possible life. Many have accepted Christ as Savior, and only God knows if they've truly been granted forgiveness and new life, but somebody sold them a bill of goods regarding how the Christian life is will just make everything good, make everything wonderful. And once you're a child of God, you can ask God for anything and you can get it. It's an awesome life. And then we wonder why, why there seems to be such a dearth of good, solid, strong, joy-filled, grace-filled, faith-filled people in the world, even in our churches. You see, there's a prerequisite to coming to that level of maturity in and it's surrender. Surrender to the Almighty. So before we get any deeper into this book, I want us to talk about that today. All the various ramifications of it. James gives us two, and I'm going to add a third. But you say the prerequisite to perfection has not been met until all three aspects of the surrender we're talking about this morning have been addressed. This is also a failure in our current American church. All three of these things are not always addressed. So here we go. I've lifted phrases from lots of verses this morning, and I would just encourage you this afternoon or through the week, keep your note sheet, read the whole verse that I'm going to read a phrase from, then read the context in which that verse is found, and, and just broaden your understanding more than what we can do today. But number one is surrender to God the Father. James says, James, a servant, a doulos of God. And now he mentions Jesus second, so that lets us know his term God, he meant God the Father. And this is where we have to start. This is where all human beings are expected to start. Failure to start 
with this aspect of life, surrender, is to derail one's life before it even gets going, before it even has a chance to develop into anything of worth and goodness. Now, we've got to start here, because the first thing we mentioned today, he, God the Father, is the creator of all. That's where Paul started with a whole group of Greek philosophers that he ran into in the town of Athens. He said this in Acts chapter 17, verse 24, is where we're picking out our phrase, the God who made the heavens and the earth. He said, that's who I'm going to declare to you. Do you realize? Of course you realize. If you have kids in school today, if you went through our school system in recent days, you know the world is full of people, educators, teachers, who do not at all believe that there is a God who made heaven and earth. And believers can kind of get fuzzy about that. Well, what difference does it make? Well, it makes a lot of difference as, as we'll go along here and see. He is the creator of all. That's what Paul declared to the Jews or to the Greeks, he said to them, you are the object of his design and you are defined by his purposes. That's what educators today, they just don't understand who human beings really are because they don't even understand where human beings came from. We are the result of God's design. We are the result of, of God's purposes. We are part of his creation. We have no real meaning or relevance apart from him. I trust. I trust that all of us this morning acknowledge that God, the Father, is the creator of all. And then it logically follows, if he's the creator of all, that he's the sovereign of all. Paul says, Acts 17, 31, just a little bit further on, he says, he, God, has set a day when he will judge the world. That too, people need to know. You and I need to know. Since God is the creator of all, he is the judge of all, he is sovereign over all, and all men, all living beings are accountable to him. All living beings ought to just naturally bow their knee to him and acknowledge him as their creator God. Acknowledge them as their sovereign, the one that they look to for leadership and guidance but they don't. So many. Men in their fallen condition do not bow before their sovereign because sin keeps their knees rigid and their hearts rebellious. They've got to be changed before they can do that. They've got to be changed by the gospel, by the person of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. They need to be given a new life, a reborn life, so that they can see their Heavenly Father truly as their Heavenly Father and their Creator. Eventually, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 28, there's coming a day where God will be recognized not only as Creator of all, not only as Sovereign over all, but He will be seen as all in all. All in all. That's what Paul says. 
That will be the final result of Jesus' victory over sin and death, Jesus' triumph over Satan himself, the end to this fallen, corrupted world, and it will be the beginning of God, the Creator's new order of things. Paul says there's coming a day when Christ will hand the kingdom, hand the kingdom to the Father, that God might be all in all. That day is coming. We can worship him as the one who is all in all already. Now here's the point. As we begin this study of the book of James, there are life circumstances that James will identify where it's our surrender to God, our Heavenly Father, Abba himself, that will move us further along perfection's pathway. That's going to be the key surrender that will allow us to respond in those situations the way that will show us to be mature. We need to be ready to make that surrender when we address those subjects. Here's the second aspect. Surrender to Jesus the Son. James says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Tell you, James had come a long way from the days when he and his brothers didn't believe in Jesus. Didn't believe that he was the, the one sent by God. James had not only become a believer in his older brother, he had become a doulos, a servant of his older brother. And that's exactly what you and I are to be. Servants of Jesus Christ, asking what would Christ's desires be in this situation. Here are just three aspects of, of what our master Jesus brings to our life that, that can bring us to our knees. And we put them before you. Number one, he's the savior of all the redeemed. He's the one who's redeemed us. God the Father has planned to change us, but he sent his son to provide for that change. And Paul says to the Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ has redeemed us. He's the one that bought us back from sin. He's the one that shed his blood for us. He's the savior of all the redeemed. And he's the only one in this inclusive age of ours we preach and teach and believe in an exclusive Savior. There's only one who can redeem us. Only one who can save us. And it's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Master. Secondly, he's the head of the church. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. Christ is the head of the church. Every time we come into this place on a Sunday morning, we gather as those who confess that Jesus Christ is our Redeemer and that he's the head of this very fellowship that we are part of, that's part of a greater fellowship throughout all the world. He's the head of the church. And then thirdly, if we take the picture frame and make it as big as we can, we bow ourselves before him because he is exalted above all heaven, all created beings. Not just born-again human beings, but all created beings. Philippians 2.9, Paul says, Therefore God the Father exalted him, Jesus, 
to the highest place, gave him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, everything in heaven, on earth, and even under the earth, in the demonic realms, will be forced to bow and declare he is Lord. He's exalted above all created beings. We bow in awe before him. There will be life circumstances that we come across in the book of James where the thing that will enable us to function in that situation in a mature way is our surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ and our acknowledgement of him as our master and we as his servant. And now here's the third aspect. Just go through it. I know we find this familiar. Surrender to Numa, the Spirit. Surrender to Abba the Father. Surrender to Jesus the Son. Surrender to Numa the Spirit. We've come across these things. We understand these things more than we used to. We sing about these things. See, the Bible tells us that it's the Spirit of God who is the companion of every believer. We are to keep in step with him and walk with him. That means we see him as our leader, our guide, and we follow. We are the doulos in this world of his. The Bible says he's the companion of all believers. Jesus promised. The Father will send you another companion. He's even more to us in our day-to-day lives than Jesus was to his own chosen ones. He walks us into and through every single life circumstance. And some of those life circumstances James is going to identify, and the way to be mature in them, the way to respond to them properly, is by a unique yielding of ourselves to the power and the person of the Holy Spirit who is with us in this life. He's the companion of all believers. He's the perfecter of all believers. Philippians 1.6, Paul says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. It's the very Spirit of God who began that work. He convicted us of our sin. He showed us the truth of Christ, our Savior. He opened our heart to embrace Christ. And he brought new life to us. And he's the very one who witnesses to our spirit that we are, in fact, children of God. He is with us. He is with us. He begins the work in us, and he will bring it to fulfillment as we function as his doulos, his servant. We don't fight him. We don't resist him. We don't put our own ideas up against him. We see him as our day-by-day master, and he will lead us. When we do that, all the way to maturity in Christ. He's the companion of all believers. He's the perfecter of all believers. He's the power for all believers. Acts 1.8, Jesus himself said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in all these circumstances of life. There's a part for us to play. We're going to need some power. There's something to feel, something to think, something to say, something to do. And the Spirit of God gives us the power to do what needs to be done. We simply provide the will power to let him lead. The bottom line, once again, is this. 
There are life circumstances where it's our surrender to God the Holy Spirit, Numa himself, that will provide the impetus to move us on, on toward greater and greater maturity in Christ, perfection as followers of Christ. Now, in light of this opening statement, here's today's sad reality. So here we go. Failure to surrender. There's been times in every one of our lives, hasn't there, when we failed to surrender. We read something in God's word that we know this is exactly what the Father says should be done, and we do not do it. We read in God's word things that that Jesus Christ has taught that would be challenging for us to do, and we do not do it. We fail to surrender to our master. There are things the Holy Spirit nudges us with, insights he gives us into the word of God that, again, would perhaps call for some change in our life, and we do not surrender to his leading. And the sad truth is, failure to surrender will inevitably lead to failure in the Christian life. And it'll probably be a failure that's obvious to everybody. To say they they call themselves Christians, but boy, boy, they either don't pull it off or they, they sure are a bad example. Failure to surrender will inevitably lead to failure in the Christian life. I would just say failure to surrender for you, for me, makes it worthless to read the book of James. If we don't start from a point of surrender to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we might as well just lay the book down. Because anything that the Holy Spirit through James directs us to do, we will think we need to make a judgment about that. We will evaluate whether it makes sense to us or not. We will evaluate whether it's worthwhile doing that or not, or how that will work out for us or not. And so there's no sense even reading the book. There's no sense me even putting together messages on it unless as a group, unless me, your pastor, can say, I preach this from the standpoint of one who has surrendered my life to God the Father, creator of all, sustainer of all, sovereign over all, God the Son, my Savior, my Redeemer, God the Holy Spirit, my daily companion who is committed to building me into what God wants me to be if I walk in step with him and yield myself to him. So we got to be there. I don't want to preach like a phony and I don't want you to listen and not take it to heart. And so today I'm saying, it's with a sense of urgency, I would put on the screen and on your notes today's powerful and purposeful resolve. Let me read this statement. See if it strikes a chord in your heart. Can you see yourself saying this? I resolve to surrender myself to the expressed will and ways of my three-person God. Father, Son, and Spirit, as I follow the pathway to perfection that James himself has laid out for me. If that's our resolve, then it will be worthwhile to open up that little book and read it and love it 
and almost memorize it. It's so short. But so many points of our life it, it talks about. Are we ready to say, I, I enter the study of this book as a fully surrendered child of God, believer in Jesus Christ, and companion with the Spirit himself. I resolve to surrender myself to the expressed will and ways of my three-person God, Father, Son, and Spirit, as I follow the pathway to perfection that James himself has laid out for me. Would it encourage you to hear other voices saying that? Do we have that on the screen? Should we just read it together? Let's do that. All together. I resolve to surrender myself to the expressed will and ways of my three-person God, Father, Son, and Spirit, as I follow the pathway to perfection that James himself has laid out for me. I'll bet this moment we're all resolved. Let's stay resolved. We'll encourage ourselves to do that. Keep this sheet that you have. Keep that little resolve in front of you. That Say, that's why we're reading this book. That's why we read any book that's within God's word. And so it brings us to our final thought today. Success, especially for us as believers we're thinking of, success in every circumstance in life begins by saying, I am God's servant. Tomorrow, those of you who, well, tomorrow's a holiday, isn't it? A lot of you don't have to go to work. How about Tuesday morning? When you go to work, those of you who have a place of work, enter those doors saying to yourself, I am God's servant. And what my master directs me to do today will make me as productive as I possibly can be, as much of a blessing to people as I can be, here in this place. I am God's servant here. You wake up at home, maybe you're retired and you're there all day, just say, this day I am God's servant here in this place. And I eagerly await his spirits leading and guiding. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have not left us alone. You have not left us to figure things out on our own. You've not left us to stumble our way through this life on our own. Father, in your great creative wisdom, you have foreseen every step of our lives. You have prepared us to be choice objects of your grace and love. And so, Father, we declare you are our master. You are God, the Father. We are your children. And then, Father, we understand that through the incredible relationship you've given us with your son, Jesus, who died for us, that, that he is the head of the church. And our identity in this world right now, not only are we children of God, but we're members of Christ's church. And he is the head of it. Father, we would follow his lead. 
And then, Father, in the day-to-day operations, the Lord Jesus and you yourself have sent the Holy Spirit to just walk us through this world in which we live, this world in which this church finds itself, a fallen world, a broken world, and, and much grace and goodness is needed, much guidance and power is needed. And, and Father, it's, it's that Spirit who's with us, that how good that we can yield ourselves to him. And he can successfully bring us through every circumstance that comes along. Father, we love you. We praise you. Father, Son, and Spirit, we are your servants. And may you move us, move us into the fullness of your grace, into the full maturity of children of God. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.